listening to season two of Pod. We are sisters, one West Coast, one East Coast, one straight mom of toddler twins, one gay, uh, multiply divorced, <laughs> one lifelong gag of the Chrissy fan, one new reader. Season one got the two of us through the first shitty year of COVID. Follow along with us for season two as we drink and sometimes remember to talk about the book. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to ProPod. ProPod. We are doing a collection story again. This one's called of the, short stories. Short stories. Um, nine stories that were published as a book in 1939, but the nine different stories were published between 35 and 38 in random magazines. Mm-hmm. So um, it's interesting, or maybe uh, one of them is even from 34. So even though, as we discussed last time, um, the war has started. But this, uh, this is, um, for context, as you're getting your materials together, listeners, uh, this is the Regatta Mysteries. Oh, did I Or the Regatta Mystery and Other Stories. Regatta Mystery and Other Stories, yeah. yeah. And um, it, uh, yeah, Regatta as in, like, boats, I think. Um, but anyway, um, so even though it's came out um at the beginning of uh world war ii um it does not talk about it at all um it's a non-thing but i think it's because all of the stories were from before right um, that would make so, sense. but anyway um it's fun it features paro marple parker pine and uh at least one story where none of them were in it yeah, I think there's just the one. And I would say, I mean, we'll get to it specifically, but like, it's it's some decent Praro. It's a good Miss Marple. Parker Pine's a little out of context. It, there, well, there's one good Parker Pine and one where he's being Praro. And then um, there's definitely one with an, a story that he's used before. Uh, like a story that or that she either okay that's what i was wondering if that seemed like a similar setup so let's let's get into it specifically so the first story is the regatta mystery which is of the title yeah and apparently we just found out was originally a poirot story and poirot story still can't say it we've been doing the pod now for eight two years (laughs) um But um, in 1936, but by the time it came out in this book in 39 or 40, depending, uh, it was a Parker Pine, which is unusual because, but it actually, very little of the story has to do with the solving of it. Um, Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a different structure for any of of our detectives. So we, um, as the reader, are present at the event there um is a it seems like a hosted but maybe it's it's at a vacation type of area there were yacht races which is i think why it's called a regatta and 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 there's this man who's like a, a 
diamond dealer and his partner, and he seems to be hosting kind of a eclectic group for several days. I can't tell if they were sleeping on his yacht, um, but they've been. I think they were at for... the hotel, but yeah, there was a, there was a group of people of like seven or eight people, um, and, and so they were hanging out together, but they were also like having dinner on his yacht, going right, to a for fair several days. Was, going and to we a come into the story that... like several days into this, right? And so we we see it from the point of view of this guy named Points Isaac Points, I think. Yeah, and I um, think he's the host of the party. Yeah, it's his yacht. Um, and then his partner is there. And then a couple not, that not are... Not gay partner, but diamond oh, but, yeah, dealer partner. Diamond dealer partner. Um, then they... Uh, there's a couple there that's Sir and Lady Marraway. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are... High status, but not high enough status. They're not quite the goods, is what we're told about them. Yes, that's what you're definitely told. And that they are a little bit, like, always looking around like they're casing the joint. They never said that, (laughs) but they definitely got this, like, you know. Um, And then there was an American guy, and the way he's described is that he talks too much, and he keeps asking questions like he's our mother. Uh, oh my god right it was like he asked very specific questions like on what year did this happen and how many of these are that in this region and i was like oh my god he is mom (laughs) so um but they they the host is like god it's like he um expects me to be a walking bay decker by decker um which i had to look up which was just a you know like a rick steves but in 1936 you know (laughs) And his daughter. Uh, and his daughter, who's 16. Um, and there's then a young there's widow who's a writer. Janet Russington, something like that. You're and doing then. Way better with these names than I am. And then the. Evan, and then a young man who's also a writer. Right. Evan, uh, some last name that starts with L. Anyway. Sure. And it's. I couldn't figure out, and maybe I was—I wanted to ask you this. I was like, I couldn't figure out how all of these people got invited to be at the regatta gala with them, like because you know he wa- Okay, the the titled couple that's the goods, but not quite the goods. Okay, you get why they're there. Maybe this American guy—he was a business associate of the of the diamond dealings, so that right. made sense. But then, uh, these two writers. The, yeah, the the two younger writers. Um, oh, yeah, she wasn't widow. She was she was a, she was a young divorcee, right? Um, yeah, and we didn't. Yeah, we didn't really understand. Like, I couldn't figure out how. Like, but I, like, when know, he was putting together this guest list, how that happened. Right, but that happens with a lot of the Agatha Christie murder in a bottles. Not that this one's actually not a murder. Spoiler alert, but. That happens to a lot of those where they're like having their, you know, um, weekend at the guest house with the servants. And I'm thinking, so you have politicians and random ladies and what? Like, I don't know how that happens. I mean, I so. I, I, in, in my head, like some, a lot of the other ones may seemed at least like I can see why you, who you, who you're trying to prove yourself to or whatever by this, this group. But right, it seemed right. a little eclectic and I couldn't, I couldn't put it together. But yeah. the point is, 
so we're we it starts off at a scene where they're at like a fair and the daughter of the american businessman is running around getting her um fortune told fortune told and all the things and then they go to dinner which has been pre-ordered and pre-arranged by her host mr points at the restaurant but it seemed like one of those like private rooms off of a restaurant Right, and it confused me a little bit because they said it was on the first floor, but they went upstairs, and that's going to be important that they're, we mm-hmm. would say it's on the second floor, right. so ground floor, first floor, but there was a little bit of cultural, well, I was like, wait a minute, so they're on the second floor. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't you know, even catch like, that, but yeah. Um, but anyway, so, um, and then it's a, they have their own private room off of the restaurant, and they're bringing in different courses. It's like a birthday party in COVID. Right. Right. <laughs> Sorry. For, yeah, for a bubble. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, so they're in the room and their waiters are coming in and out. And then the daughter, the uh, 16-year-old says, hey, Mr. Points, I got this idea. Do you still have your fancy diamond? Oh, and we didn't look up the amounts for that. But um, apparently yeah, so- he... Yeah, he's he carries been, he's around. Carried, he carries around this enormous diamond, and he keeps it on like a specially sewn pocket in his suit, and um, it's called I don't know the star of something. Morning star. Morning. Morning star. star. Um, and uh, but it's this it's huge, enormous, very you know diamond that's worth a lot. And so she's like, when you showed it to us all last night, I had this great idea when I went to bed last night that I know how I could steal it. And he's like, okay, and and she she challenges him. She's like, I bet you I can steal it. So they do like he bets her um, stockings, and if if she if he wins, then a he wallet gets or something, a tobacco pouch, a tobacco. And it was pouch. an interesting little thing where he at first offers gloves, and she's like, who wears gloves anymore? Which is kind of interesting because it's you know like the thirties. Ugh, nobody wears gloves. Anymore. Right, right, right. Um, but stockings, they're still in. Um, and um, and then, yeah, so they have this bet. And, and then he says, should I call the police? And she said, no, 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 just have the two women who are here search me. And then you can determine, and then I win. Yeah, because so he, he he's basically like, this kid is just going to hide it somewhere on her. And so he's like, okay, sure, kid, but we're going to have to search you. So then there's, yeah, the, the lady fancy pants and this the the young divorcee yeah mrs um mrs russington so um um, so then they have they they've already had their first course and then he brings and she was like basically do what you did last night so they clearly had had dinner together the night before um by the way the only people that i have had like multiple days and dinners and meals together is like you and my in-laws, right? You know, See that like, or around a wedding where it's like the rehearsal dinner and then the wedding and then the next day of like the, the, so, you the know, brunch after. Right. So like these, like, let's have a three-day party with the same people. I'm like, ready for a break after one night. You know what I mean? Like I, I think know, of Thanksgiving right? and I have such a great time with like, you know, like my last Thanksgiving I had such a great time with like the friends I was there with. And I didn't be like, let's do it again tomorrow. <laughs> right. You know, we're home recovering from all that energy. Right. I mean, just can you imagine? Because apparently they had dinner together the night before and she was like, do the same thing you did the night before so I could steal it. 
and it's like wait a minute aren't you guys tired of each other anyway i mean so i mean i suppose i've had beach weekends with people that's the only thing i can think of i've had beach weekends with people but oh yeah i did that with friends we did we like did a cabin yeah like a cabin but it was like uh, I guess that would be similar, but we were all very close. Like it was like right. You, you have know, to be close friends and when you're in your twenties and thirties and have that kind of a friend group where you know you can do things like that. Right. So like these people aren't close friends. So that's a lot of time to spend with people who are not close friends or family. Yeah. Anyway, so Agreed. that was just a side note. But anyway, so she's like, "Do what you did last night," and so he brings it out and starts to tell the story of the diamond again. And he and he says it in this kind of stiff voice because he's like literally repeating what he said the night before. Like, this is the Morning Star Diamond, and it is worth this much money. And here it is. And he passes it around the room, which is what he'd done the night before. Yeah. So, um, and then it passes around the room, and then it gets to the girl, and she goes, "Oh, I've dropped it." Apparently, in a way that like was terrible mm-hmm. acting. And then it drops to the ground and then everybody goes to the ground and they can't find it. And then she's like, where did he go? And she again says, search me in a very dramatic and yet badly acted way. And she gets searched. They can't find it. But while they're waiting, the young man who's there uh, opens the window because they say it's hot and whistles to the guy selling the paper and um, throws down a coin and the guy throws up a paper. Um, and then, and yeah, then the more. guys are, like, checking on the horse race. Right. Because so, they're, kind of they're halfway paying attention to this, like, vapid American right. girl who's, like, having this contest. So they're, like, halfway invested. But they're, you know, like, all right, let me right. see the paper. Let me see if my horse won. Yeah. So then uh, the women come back in, and then they say, you know, can't find it. And... Um, and they didn't leave the women didn't leave they like went went behind behind a screen screen so yeah because nobody ever left so this isn't murder in a bottle it's um a theft in a bottle um and so then um the man whose diamond it is searches all over because the the room and can't find it can't find it and then it gets tense and then they right right they can't find it so then she's like, okay, I win the bet, right? I get the nylons. And she goes over to the table where they had put all the belongings and everything while they're searching the room. And she's like, look, I had, I'm so clever. You guys are going to kick yourselves. And then she gets to her purse and she's like, oh no. And right. she's like, it's gone. It was here. Was And so she explains that her trick was that her, she had a handbag with like rhinestones on it and the, the the one of the big rhinestones had fallen off in the middle of it and so that was her idea was to steal the real diamond and use plasticine to um, glue it to the spot and so it would look like a rhinestone when it really was the actual diamond but when she went to retrieve it it wasn't there so now the whole room's freaking out okay the diamond's really missing and they research the room and they search every person and nobody can find anything at all. They've searched everything. And every, then, then it gets really tense. And then is the dun-dun-dun cut scene. 
Right. And that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of like the end of that because nothing happens there. And so then the young man goes to see Parker Pine and says, everybody thinks I did it because I threw down the coin and got the paper. Um, and that was the only time that anything left the room during the whole business. And Plus, in the meantime, he did well on a couple of oh, yeah. um, racing bets at the at the tracks, and so he does have he did have some money come in. So he's he has money that he can't account for because when you bet live at the track, there's no paper trail for that. So he has right. more money, and he can't explain where it came from. So then Parker Pine asks him details, and then asks him to describe everybody physically. And um, he also makes these weird, like, "Are you're Welsh, aren't you? And, and the guy is like, what are you talking about? Oh, I'm just examining people, how they react to stress and their anger. Yeah, and, and he says something like, I'm interested in studying people by their racial types. And you're just like, oh, God, don't, please don't say this. Yeah, and also, seriously, Welsh is now a racial type? Like, what? Yeah. Um, but anyway. I mean, like, we were saying that those are the people that made up all of the constructs that we have that ruin the world. Right. So right, they're like, so. oh, the Welsh are like this because that's their race. And somehow the Welsh are somehow different than, you know, and I couldn't even tell you where the borders of Wales are, is. So, you know, whatever. But yeah, so, and so, but, but during their interview, Parker Pine's like, give me three days. I got this. And he's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. So the guy comes back in three days and Parker Pine is like, yeah, solved it. The gang's been arrested. And he's like, the gang? What are you even talking about? And so you have to go back and I reread it again to kind of, so they had locked the door at some point. So the waiters stopped going in, but when he brought out the diamond and it was like, da da da, we're going to pass it around. He passes the diamond around. And in the book, when they first tell the story, they're like, people aren't really looking at the diamond because they did the night before. Right. But it went to the girl's dad. And then and... at that point, the waiters, because they hadn't locked the door yet, the waiters came through and were clearing from the first course. And so it was like a hitch in like the story and then it kept getting passed on after that and then got to the girl. Well, so Parker Pine said that that's when the diamond left, that when it was with the girl's dad, he put the diamond, um, the waiter was with them. Right. And put the diamond. So there was a waiter that was part of it and he stuck it to the plate with some chewing gum or he could put it on top like, you know, Ocean's right. Eleven. Right. Ocean's eight. Ocean's eight. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so. Uh, Ocean's and eight is so good. It is very good. I, I watch it over it and over. The only thing that bugs me is how much makeup everybody's wearing in every scene. Well, it's because uh, women are not allowed to be the age that they are in that movie. I know. And so Sandra Bullock, it has to be like, I am forever 35, even though I'm 60. So this is the face. And like, you know, same with um Kate, Bl- Kate Blanchett is the other one, right? Right. And the two of them have this whole They're just inter- amazing actresses, but like meanwhile their counterparts like George Clooney and, and uh, Brad Pitt are allowed to look right. their age. Yeah, cuz like 
because even when she's in at the parole hearing, she's got yeah. makeup on. It drives right. me crazy. No, no, she's like beat like a drag queen in every scene. <laughs> every scene, and I'm just like, okay, now like when she's in the big gown, it makes sense. It makes sense, but when yeah, also love that she has an entire conversation in German. Right? I have no idea if it's good German because I don't know German, but it sounded good to me. Right. Anyway. It's so cool. I love anyway. That okay. So back to Ocean's Eight, but like these people. So anyway, they stole the diamond by having the waiter carry it out before the girl even said that she lost it because they replaced it with a glass piece. Right. One oh, yeah. The- so so the, the sleight of hand, the Ocean's Eight of it all was waiter comes in takes the real one out and then the father passes on a paste or you know rhinestone or a fake version of i guess paste because it has to break um version of it and passes it to the next guy the next guy but again we're all pantomiming this because we did this yesterday so and that yeah because the guy when parker pines explaining how they did it he was like but i saw it after that he was like you didn't look at it you passed it on because you didn't care because you weren't examining it this time so you didn't look to see that it was actually glass or paste or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so when she dropped it, she went down and then stepped on it because she also purposely dropped her wine glass. It right, so there's broken glass down there and yeah. then smashed the paste version. So there's just like random, you know, glass shards. Right, and so that's why they couldn't find anything when they searched everyone. Now, that part is cool. Yeah, that was cool. But then Parker Pine is like, I totally recognized from the description this was a gang from, and the name is Italian, but they're Italian-American. And he does this whole thing about them being American, but like racially Italian. Again, not these constructs. Um, And how it's like a, a father and his daughter and their son-in-law and she's actually like 27 but she just looks really young so she always plays like a 16 year old right right and so the one of the waiters was part of their gang and then her and the dad so that's how they pulled it off and they basically were not the real people they were impersonating so this businessman is a real person they were in business with but the people who visited were this jewel thief gang that impersonated them to right, steal this right. diamond in particular because he's the kind of guy who goes around bragging about it. The cool story, but the reason we like Parker Pine is because he has these kind of like nuanced things. And he explains to the guy, yeah, you you came to the right place because I help with unhappiness. But then, and he takes three days, which is very Parker Pine, like, you know, let me handle it. But then... The solution was mostly just detective stuff. He's like, oh, when you were describing it, I knew that it was this Italian-American jewel thief gang. Which then you're like, why would Parker Pine know this? Like, Parker Pine knows, like, we know that he's a social climber kind of type. We know he likes kind of, not macabre things, but, you know, like the the whole uh, Mr. Quinn stuff. Well, that was Mr. Satterwaite, not Parker Pine. Oh, man, I'm mixing up my struggles. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, but still, Parker Pine, right, Parker Pine, sorry, I'm mixing up my non Paro and Marvel ones, but still, that's not his thing. He's he's about knowing the fancy pants, 
and, and helping people who have ha- unhappiness and, 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 and sort of doing yeah that passive aggressive or i guess aggressive aggressive fixing your life thing right like i know how the to second fix your story life, in this totally makes sense with but in here he's just like i know about crime families and i got them arrested right and so you're like what that's and then he spirals you, but... into this whole like Italian Americans are like this, and you're just like oh, and then because they reinforce he, at the end he's like oh yeah, you know people by their type of ethnic crime or whatever, and you're just like ah oh. yeah. So, so it, it just, just it, it didn't feel part like it was a cool story, right? But with the, the, with the weird was cool. Yeah, it was it was a cool story, but it just it didn't really make sense as a part. Like if, if we didn't know him, it'd be fine, but knowing Parker Pine. Even me confusing right. him with Mr. Quinn, <laughs> but right. <laughs> but you see why I did that because Parker Pine is more Mr. Quinny than he is Paroi. Right. Although and I guess when he was on the road, he did turn into a detective. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Remember when he went on? We like Parker Pine on the road. And I think the story seemed like it came right after that because when he went, and I had to, by the way, look. No, wait. Uh, it's his second story. The second story, in. yeah. That seems like it's yeah. right after that. Yeah, totally. But this one, yeah. And I was more annoyed because the, the solution to the crime was cool. Like, it was a cool solution to the crime. I enjoyed, yeah. like, them saying, aha, it, the theft happened before you even knew it was gone. Right. Like, that's cool. But then to somehow turn it into, it was a prearranged gang that I already knew. That was like, it didn't make a much a sense to me. Yeah, because it was supposed to be this. Yeah, this man, um, his daughter and and son in law who do this everywhere. And why would Parker Pine know that? And why would they spend two days? I guess it'd be a long con, um, kind of two days in order to get a thirty thousand pound, which we still haven't looked up what thirty thousand pounds is. A whole lot. Um, it's a whole lot, but um, anyway. Um, but 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 it's cool. And you're right. It's kind of Ocean's 80 because, like you know, in the end of the day, I don't feel that bad about stealing things from rich people who flaunt them. Right. Right. It's not the worst crime. So I got a bunch of quotes from this book. Please do your quotes. That... You did. You you pulled some great quotes. At the beginning of this book, when they were describing from the point of view of Mr. Points, the host, they were. Um, describing the different guests at his party they were describing lady and sir Marroway, and it said in outward seeming out in outward seeming they were as the lilies that toiled not neither did their spin for but perhaps this was not quite true there are diverse ways of toiling and also of spinning and I have no fucking idea what that means. <laughs> See, I thought I could figure out what it meant, but I was wondering if there was a reference that it was from. Right. Because Lily's toiling and spinning, I don't know what that means at baseline. Yeah. But when, were... but in the context they were it seemed to me that they were saying, you know, that this this lord and lady don't have to work. They just you know, live this life of luxury. But like you said, they kind of also implied that they're always semi-casing the joint and are not quite the goods. And so I thought that was a funny, a cool way of like saying that like there's different ways of working. There's different ways, like, you know, 
whether you're working at the drive through window or whether you're hustling as a person wearing pearls, we're all right. working in some way. You know, you're all trying to prove right. something. We're all tra- working. And so I thought it was interesting, but I was wondering about this, the origin of... Okay, right. Now we they were as like, the lilies, you know, the lilies that do. toiled not. Of course, I'm going to Google. <laughs> Google on a podcast, because that's trying to figure out how to spoil. Oh, it's the Bible. That's why we don't know. <laughs> lilies neither toiled or spent. Oh, okay. it's a Bible reference. It's a Bible reference, which is, uh, you know, not our specialty. Let's see. Okay. The lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. Okay. It's a Bible passage. Okay. What does that even mean? Because I does spin mean something different than I think? I yeah, I, I had the same question. Spinning a thread, a labor intensive but necessary part of making clothing. Okay, so there so saying there work. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So this makes sense. So they're saying, Oh, they're lilies. They they don't have to work. But then you're like, Oh, there's different ways, there's different types of work. Yeah. And these guys are the Kardashians, right? Like the whole like, you know, Kim Kardashian pissing everybody That's off it. saying you got to work and we're all like, bitch, you don't know what it means to work. But to her work is taking a lot of photographs. Right, right. And, and I'm sure it's early in the morning, you know, but it's not the same as like the work that other people have to do. Right. Even for So her. so maybe that's maybe that's the that quote is for the Car- like you know, them being the Kardashians of that era. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I have a challenge for us. What's that? Let's speed round some of this because our last episode was ridiculously long and we always go long with the compilations of short stories. And this one doesn't have to be long. Like, it's actually not that, you know, I mean, some of them need to be long. Like Mr. Quinn needed to be 17 episodes, but this one, let's speed round some of them. Okay. So this next one is micro machines. (laughs) This is a creepy, creepy story. So a guy was, uh, people have a dinner party, um, dinner party, dancing and poker. And meanwhile, there was a guy who had been stabbed who was in the room with the same, all the Did whole Did you time. think of Crazy. Party Monster? It was basically the plot of Party Monster. I don't think I've ever seen Party Monster. It's I don't a know true story. Is. It's so creepy. It's Macaulay Culkin telling us that he's no longer the kid in Home Alone. He was like, at this point, like, you know, 19 or 24 or whatever, but like, he's a young person. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's a true story where like, it's a bunch of kids doing wild drugs and being wild. And like, I can't remember what happened, but like they killed a dude and put him in a chest in the middle of the room. And they basically just keep partying and using the chest as like a coffee table with this like person rotting in the chest in the middle of the room. Oh, that's And I was, I mean, this clearly like, is like almost source, you know, I mean, also, I guess like every Agatha Christie has a dead person in the chest, but like. (laughs) You know, right. and there was Alfred Hitchcock's where there would be like a dead person right. in the chest or whatever. But like, it, it's like, honestly, it's one of the ones that like really hits me and the like, I can't quite tolerate this. Because right, like, I just, right. for some reason, yeah. that like nonchalance about it. But, anyways, it, it really hit me in that because oh, they no, had this no, party yeah. all night. So these people are like partying and hanging out and playing poker. And this is a guy, why I could dead not guy in the ever, box all night. This is why I could not ever watch the, um, the, the movie about the, Dead Boss. Weekend at Birdies. Weekend at Birdies. Never wanted to watch it. Could yeah, not corpse, corpse Play is not fun for me. It's, it's not, funny. not funny. It's not. I do nope. not like Desecration of Corpus. It's never funny. Okay. Oh, see, I wonder um, if that's a, if, if that's an us thing, like because yeah. like, like dismemberment really. Can't, I can't stand it. Like, mm-hmm. 
I mean, you're like, I'm, not, I'm okay with this information. <laughs> I don't want you to do dances with my dead body, but you can cut off my head. I mean, that's not a big deal. <laughs> I guess because the people who usually dismember are also the people who killed. So those kind of go together. But the people who are just like, oh, this person died and now we're going to desecrate their corpse. Desecrate, I mean, speaking of using religious words, look at that. I'm all like, don't desecrate. But it bugs, the, it bothers me so much. Interesting. Um, For me, it's all in the same category. Oh, interesting. Anyway, we're not doing fast. We <laughs> we're totally not doing went, fast at all. We we're failing at micro-machining this. <laughs> we went on a tangent, like within a minute of us saying we were going to go fast. Okay, okay? So, the point is... So the guy in a box, he's dead. Next day, servant of guy who owns the place finds it um, because it bled everywhere. Gross. Yeah. And so yeah. turns out that dead guy is husband of woman who attended party, who right. turns out to be secretly in love with, but not cheating with host of party. Right. And um, and so host of party is then arrested. So then it was Proro and Hastings. And um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the reason we get sucked into this is that um, this happens and then Hastings kind of, this is from the point of view of Hastings. This one is, was written way back in 32. So it's definitely in the Praro and Hastings heyday. But um, I really liked it because it, 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 I think it's a very good version of Praro and Hastings. Mm-hmm. Like the abuse is mild. Right. Hastings is a good, like relatable straight man. And Not so, in the hetero way, you. <laughs> but straight man is in the in a, yeah. every like as a stand-in for the Comedy reader. Who, yeah. Yeah. Or even yeah, in sort of like a stand-in to like I'm not the genius in this situation. I don't see what you're talking about, Praro. Right. So they um we hear first hear the premise of the story, and then um they go to a party, um, and the host of the party calls Praro and Hastings up to her room and said, you've got to help my friend. And then we meet the friend and that is the wife whose husband was killed. And she's and this like, is where help. we find out that she didn't love her husband, but wasn't cheating, did have feelings for the guy who hosted, but again, nothing had happened. And she's the kind of woman that Agatha Christie has talked about before that is so beautiful that people Kill yeah, because Praro refers to that because after in, after re- interviewing her about this death, he's like, "Is this similar to the situation with the duel?" And she's like, "Oh, the one where they jousted each other." And he's like, "No, not that one. The other one." And, and she's like, like, "But he said he would hurt himself. I hope he didn't do that because of me." He didn't even say anything. It was really it was classic Praro where he just said, "You've had things in your past," and then she just finished it up and told a couple of stories about how men have killed themselves or wanted to kill each other over yeah, did her. You, did, did you get flashes of Angela on the office when uh, Dwight and Andy duel? And Angela was like, oh, this is like the last time the two guys dueled over me. Um, I never got into the office, so oh, I well. don't know who those people are. I'm so sad that we no longer can be friends. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's the same. I, it's the same thing where like there's a reference to like these two guys are battling over her, and then there's a reference to it having happened before. Yeah, but there's just women who that happened to. And, it, and the over. cute thing is on the office, which you don't like because you're a terrible person. Like, she's this like uptight, 
kind of churchy lady. Like you, she's not the she's not the image that we're thinking of when we read this. Okay, fair. You know, um, like it, and so that's what's fun about it because she's not like the traditional hot girl. She's kind of uptight, and so like, but yeah, so okay. Agatha Christie definitely like plays into this. Like, there's women that men just have to fight over. So I realize that people enjoy The Office because the boss is the worst, but watching somebody who's does racist and sexist and stupid things over and over again it, it just it, uh, that's valid it, okay all right um anyway so no no that it's totally valid and i it, it's 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 a lane it's not for everybody okay and so I that, yeah I had ne- I had never watched it until Bianca and then she got me to watch it and then I got totally addicted and it's, it's a rewatch for me. Really okay. Yeah. So, uh, the rest of it. So Paro uh, is supposed to help Mrs. Clayton, I think her name is, and then so he interviews the host. No, he interviews uh, Major Curtis. Everybody's got a major. Is Major Rich and Major Curtis or something like that? So. I think it's Rich, Major Rich. or It doesn't matter. This is part of the micro machines. They don't care. Okay. The point is the host and the um, this other guy were both had a, a military title. But the point is the host. I think they, um, yeah, they probably all knew each other from the war. They're all. Yeah. The, yeah. The first one. Um, but anyway, so they, uh, he interviews everybody. So the, what happened was, is that they were all going to go to this party, Mr. and Mrs. Clayton. Mr. Curtis or Major Curtis or something. And then this other couple were all going to go to this party. And then in the middle of the day, Mr. Clayton says, I got to go to Scotland, but you go ahead and go to the party. And he, uh, and uh, Curtis said that he said the same thing. Um, and he had met up with the other major prior to the party and told him that like, oh, I, I got a notification. I got to go to Scotland. And then he told his wife the same thing. But he met up with this guy for a drink beforehand. And then he went to Miss Major Rich's house. The Mr. Clayton came. Mr. Rich wasn't there. And then the servant later saw Mr. Rich in the same room and figured, oh, Mr. Clayton left. But Mr. Clayton never left because he was in the chest. Right. Um, um, and then, um, then they interviewed the other couple was there, but they didn't offer very much um, uh, to add to it. So anyway, so then Paro figures it out. Um, he says what happens was Curtis was telling Clayton that it was Rich a love square. That totally love square. <laughs> Curtis was telling Mr. Clayton that rich was cheating with his wife so he told clayton why don't you go there when rich isn't there sneak into hide the chest. In, hide in the chest and probably figured this out because there were holes in the chest where so the he's dead like, guy okay, was use this corkscrew or whatever it is from seven dials to make holes in this large wardrobe or this so large have, chest so you can breathe in the living room so that you can spy on them so that like if she if your wife comes before the party or stays after the party and they do sexy time you'll know because he was obsessing over the fact of his of his wife cheating with this guy which she was in love with him but wasn't cheating and so then um 
the how Poirot figured it out was there was holes in the chest, like air holes, and in the guy's pockets was a you know a tool for you know woodworking tool so he could screw a hole. Um, and then it said he was explaining to all the Hastings, and he's like, so the guy who was playing records during the party and not dancing because it was rich dancing with Mrs. Clayton and then the other couple were dancing with each other. The guy who was mostly playing the records and that's what he said could go behind the screen, go in the chest and stab the guy. And Hastings like, but he would yell out and he was like, not if he was drugged. And he was like, he was drugged. Who did he have drinks with right before going over there? He had drinks with Major Curtis who... Yeah, so basically everyone's in love with Mrs. Clayton. Mary Clayton. And so her husband is obsessed because he's jealous. The host of the party is into her and it's mutual. And then this third guy mm-hmm. who's pretending to be a friend to all of this is also in love with her. And she's, he's like, great. If your husband dies and your lover or the person you're into goes to jail for it, I'll be your shoulder to cry on. So that's right. why I'm saying it's love square. Because it's, it's more totally than a love triangle. Because there's three men and a lady, which is a porn I don't want to watch. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> me neither. Sorry. I'll cut that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Though. Love Square. The porn a minute doesn't want to watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, Poirot called it a perfect murder. Yeah, and that was actually the, the the most interesting thing to me about this this one was Praro's admiration for the crime. Because normally he's like, I do not approve of murder. He always says, I don't approve of murder all over and over. In this case, he was like, I gotta recognize the game. You know, he's just like, he's he's definitely, like, he, he thought it was the perfect crime because you killed him during the party, so you have the perfect alibi. You set up the the, you know, the other person he he really admired it as a murder, which I'd never seen him do before. Right. Well, it seemed like it kind of almost seemed like a darker side of Praro, because uh, I'd never he, seen him admire a crime. Well, because he said that the perfect crime would be the crime that he solved at crime cards on the table. Yeah. But anyway, um, wait. But, you should finish that thought. You just said cards on the table, and then. The the book cards on the table. Did we not do that one yet? We did, but say 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 what you're saying. People well, may or may not have heard that. Tell them. So, in the book cards on the table, um, was four people sit playing bridge, and one person was in the room, and one of the people playing bridge went over and stabbed the guy while they were playing bridge. <coughs> and there was an earlier book. It was probably Big Four, which we trashed. Um, <laughs> Uh, that um, he had said that would be his favorite kind of mystery and Hastings was like that sounds really boring and terrible and then it happened which uh, in cards on the table but he had said that would be ideal four people playing bridge and one of them killed a guy and we don't know which one of the four because it's all about psychology Right. and Hastings was like that sounds super boring because there's no action. So yeah, it's but, similar. So I guess I guess he's being consistent that his perfect crime is like 
with a lot of people there that you can kill mm-hmm. someone in public. Right, right. So the quote that I did from this one is when um, they go to this party and the lady, we don't even see her again, but the lady who introduces him to Mrs. Uh, Clayton, um, before that moment, when um, they're just going to the party and Hastings was describing Praro at the party and describing mm. how Praro says he doesn't like parties, but he actually loves being at parties because everybody swoons over him. And he actually loves that part. And then he talks about how Praro never is modest. Uh-huh. And, and then the quote is... Poro explaining, like, but my friend, I am not an Anglo-Saxon. Why should I play the hypocrite? Which I thought was fascinating because he was saying that Anglo-Saxons pretend modesty or right. It's modest. so fascinating. But then he starts talking about how there's all these virtuosos of like the best tennis player or the best whatever or the best whatever. I know he specifically said tennis player, but I can't remember what else. And then when people say, oh, you're so good, they go, oh, no, no, no. And they are humble about it. But then he says, but being reasonable men, they admire it in themselves, but their training prevents them from saying so. But because he's not, I guess, Anglo-Saxon, he's like, why shouldn't I admit I'm the best? Which is a really interesting cultural thing to think about I more notice it not Anglo-Saxon versus whatever uh, he's supposed to be Gaelic I mean if we're going to be on they're going on Agatha Christie's racial groups he's not Gaelic um, he's well he's Belgian Belgian is, right but isn't that Gaelic oh you, I don't think so but you've you've really gone out I, of my area of expertise in terms of like because I thought Gaelic well, was related to Irish. If oh yeah, you're right. Which is Indeed. not so. Like I feel like. So what would be the Belgian would be Francophile in some way or Franco. Right, they, they would be Franco yeah. something. Yeah, which is a different right. culture. Like you know what I mean? Like you're not coming from that Anglo-Saxon. Like it's not Anglo-Saxon. Right, I, if, I think if the British are Anglo-Saxon, then what are the Belgians? Yeah, but I don't know because the tribes of Europe we don't talk about as much of the different tribes of Europe, but he's definitely saying that the tribe of he's from, um, which I don't know, the tribes of Belgium. <laughs> um, but uh, we don't, you know, don't do that. But it's interesting because he specifically says Anglo-Saxons have this modesty and humbleness that he thinks is stupid. And false. Um, and false. And I was thinking about it in terms of women and men because totally me too i had the same thought it's happened now recently that i have had students of mine who were women you know young women uh juniors in high school who have apologized for something they didn't do like this is going to be terrible i'm so sorry this is terrible I'm so sorry because uh, my backpack almost hit you. 
your backpack didn't hit me. It's fine. It wasn't terrible. And so and, I... And even more than that, like, it's like the apologizing for taking up space thing. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think... I think it's so fascinating, and I and I, I think it's interesting to know this is a Belgian character written by an English woman, who's calling out English culture for performed modesty. Mm-hmm. And it's I, I had the same reaction because I was thinking about that as myself. Like I think it is, and it it goes into the whole Hillary Clinton thing, right? Like we expect women to perform modesty, and when women perform assertiveness or perform like i am the bad bitch like everyone's like oh no no you know what i mean like it's it's the taking up space it's that whole thing and i it's it's still complex to me as a consumer of humans right like i both have a bad reaction to people who are feeling themselves and want women to feel themselves you know but i also am like you're the worst i can't stand you but then when 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 also when i perceive someone who's just like oh god i'm the worst you don't i'm so stupid like stop it but it's so ingrained in us right right well and it's in my profession in education uh i have a former colleague who was really good at applying for grants and applying for awards and she won some and she's very good at self-promotion and she it can make me feel okay because i'm like oh you're <laughs> i know who you're talking about because her because she just talked right. about how awesome she is and it makes me feel weird but i also um because it, it also is in my profession as teachers if you are like i am better than all the rest of you I'm a little bit like, okay, you know what? I could start talking about how awesome I am, but I know that so many of my colleagues are also very awesome. So right. I don't want to say I'm better than the right, rest because of you. Are, we, we consider modesty a virtue. And we consider bragging about yourself to be putting other people down. Like It is a fascinating conversation to think about. And I think about that all right. the time because in my work, like we're talking about like part of what I do is promoting myself and like talking about my own self being awesome. And I hate it. And it feels cringy every time I do it and all of those things. And I, I live, I, I, you know what I mean? Like because of the, you know, that, that side of it, I I'm constantly grappling with the paradox of right. wanting to be the modest Oh gosh, Scandinavian again. I'm I'm guessing on that scale, the Scandinavians are like, oh gosh, oh no, I'm just you know, don't worry about me, you know. I just like, that feels very natural to me, you know. Right, right. I and then there's the part that's like, no, I actually know this shit, and you guys need to hear what I have to say. I do love and... how your Scandinavian goes to a Minnesota accent, which none of our relatives have anymore. <laughs> We, but anyway, but yeah, no, I get it. Like we have to go Fargo if we're gonna go Norwegian American. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, I I live with that complexity. Like, like, right, like you want to tell this girl who's like winning all these awards, like, I bitch, I can get that award, but I would I just... never apply for it because I'm too <laughs> modest. Which means I'm also like, but not only more awesome than you, 
but I'm more awesome and more modest and than you, which, which is virtuous. the word and virtuous, which is the award I should get. Well, I guess for being know, what's the triple threat of the best and also not knowing I'm the best and the public not knowing I'm the best. I'm the most underrecognized, which means I, you know, halo overhead. Well, what's interesting is I feel both ways all the time because like I would love to get teacher of the year or, you know, um, all whatever, but most of those awards for like educator of the year, you have to not only send in an application yourself, but you have to get letters of recommendation. And it's, I actually did it. The same woman who bless her heart, like said, (laughs) you should apply for law teacher of the year. And there was an organization that gave out law. Oh my gosh, she's right. You should. And so I applied. I filled out the application. I got a letter of recommendation from one of the coaches of the Constitution team, who was a Supreme Court Justice of Oregon. And I got another letter of recommendation from my administrator. And I filled out the whole thing. And I felt really dumb. Um, And then I didn't get it. And they wrote me this thing that said, you were really close. You should apply again. And I was like, I'm not going to apply again. That was a lot of trouble. And asking for a letter of recommendation from people I work with, I felt stupid. And like I was, I felt uncomfortable. And, but then, you know, one of the things I realized in doing that is that when you're applying for jobs or for all of my seniors who are applying to go to college or for their scholarships, that's what they're doing. And we're like, yeah, it's no problem for you to apply for college or scholarships. But that's what you're doing is you're talking about how awesome you are. And then yeah. as adults, we're like, it's no problem. 18 year olds just do that. But we won't, you know. Mm-hmm. But I would love to get one of those awards, you know. And, um, you, and you should. But right, but, you, you want the world to find you. You want the world to just be like. Exactly. Like breaking the door down, like clearing house sweepstakes and just being like, Portia Hall, you're amazing. But it turns out that even like, it turns out like people who win, I don't know, Oscars or whatever, those awards that those people were nominated and often had like studios saying, A machine behind saying you should award this and so it wasn't just because people found them magically and been like oh my god they're so amazing they should get an award um and so it's a weird thing because it's like i would love to have that but yeah i'd like to be magically found and surprised as opposed to like i have to apply and say i'm so great you know um and then yeah so it's interesting weirdness about circling back and bringing in Hercule Poirot because that's what this and is Bobby about sandwiches. <laughs> is him saying and then Agatha Christie saying y'all are a bunch of hypocrites because if you say no 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 it was nothing it wasn't nothing and know? if you're admiring this trait in someone else and you're the best of the best of the best why would not why would you not own it and I, I do think it's interesting and I think it's it is like as we perceive waspy white America as it relates to us being the psychopathic grandchild of this English culture, mm-hmm. it, it's so true, right? Like we, right. you right. know, and that's one reason that like, it's the complexity that white America has with black athletes 
where it's like, I like you, but I don't like the fact that you want to talk about the fact that you're great. We, we want you to only let us us tell you that you're great, but when you say it, we're uncomfortable with that, right? And so right, right. white America loves black athletes until they own their greatness and want to like profit from it themselves. Right, it's right. Like, oh, but wait, let us let us own let us own the power around telling you that you're good or not. You know, I mean, there's so right. much there. There's oh, so, so much there. there. And it's a really and, good point. Yeah. And Muhammad I think your Ali, analogy, yeah. you know, Muhammad Ali to Serena Williams to like all of it. Like, I feel yeah. like there's all these things where like, and, and, and then the layer of, 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 uh, gender, um, gender on top of it. Thank you. I was like, woman, woman <laughs> thing, gender. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Because and, and, and all that. And I, I feel the gender thing all the time. And we talk about it all the time. We're like, you know, if a, if a man is like, I'm the best at work, we're like, yeah, that guy's the best. And if a woman's like the best, we're like, ugh, can't stand her, you know? And I both judge that and participate in that. Right. As right. both the person who thinks I'm the best sometimes and the person who hates the girl who thinks she's the best, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's interesting because at our age, you know, we're both at an age in our careers that like I can be like, I'm the baddest bitch in this room. And I both. I don't say it like my default is to go into like, oh, gosh, I don't know anything like I go into like default. <laughs> Garsh, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, no, I get <laughs> but it. But default, and I would say Scandinavian, but also just I, I don't think it's just Scandinavian to do it. But I think it's just default into well, this, like let me not take up space, let me minimize right. myself, all these things. Right. And and yeah. I don't even when I don't mean it, it's just my default because I right. feel like it's because it, I know it's more. I don't, I don't think I know it's more likable. Yeah. Yeah, it is. and I I would I have a bigger fear of being perceived as a bitch or as a having a big ego than I do of being under, and then I'll be like mad that I was that someone took my power in a situation that someone else was like, all right, cool, if you're not gonna take the power in this room, I'll run with it. And I'm like that bitch just took my power, and I'm like, well, yeah, you gave it to her. Oh, I know, right? And so yeah, and but it's I funny because get... it's I expect other women to play by the same role, and I work I work in a woman field. So, yeah, and so like, do I. Yeah. And, and so, I'm like, just... when someone, like, well, like this other teacher that's like your nemesis, like your Newman, but like, when someone else runs with it, you're like, no, you're supposed to play by the same rule. We're supposed to be like, no, I'm, no, I'm the worst. You're the best. And you're like, no, I'm the worst. You're the best. And then so she's like, I am the best. And she runs with it. You're like, oh, no, <laughs> you're not playing the game right. I know. Why are we playing this fair. game? Right. And that's the point that Par was making to bring it back to the book. To bring it back to the book. Because <laughs> this is about this book. And we were going to be fast, and we only just finished story two. Okay, okay. story three. Story three. How does your How garden, does your garden grow? grow? This one's going to be micro machines. We're doing this. Okay. Okay. I, I'm going to do the setup. Okay. 1935. So there's a woman who writes the prologue. She's like, "Hey, something's going on, but it's secret family stuff. I don't want to get into the press. I don't want to get to the police. So come investigate, but like keep it secret." And then he's like, writes her back. He's like, "Okay." Then. Um, he doesn't hear back from her. So then he writes to her and is like, Hey, what's up, girl? Everything okay? And then his and then and then her sees that he dies. And then yeah, his 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 Miss Lemon, his his uh, personal secretary, is like, Oh, she died. But then he pretends he doesn't see that. And he writes and is like, Hey, everything all good, girl? You wanted me to hire you wanted to hire me. I'll be there. I'll be there tomorrow or something. I'm coming. Like that. 
And then her niece writes back and is like, no, she's dead. It's good. Don't come. But he pretends he didn't see that letter. So he goes. And she's dead. And then she's dead, but he pretends he didn't know that. And then when he walks in, there's a Russian maid who's like, she gave me the money. And it's not all mine. And he's like, okay, that's weird, but go ahead. And then the niece and her husband are like, oh, well, auntie died. Such a shame. But, you know, go away now. Don't investigate things. So then he goes to the cops. Yep. And the cops are like, yep, how'd you know she died of strychnine poison? But we can't figure out how she got it because they all ate the same dinner. And then turns out that the Russian girl gets arrested because they're like, she took a, uh, not tonic. It's like a capsule of powder. And she was doing some digestive before dinner. Um, and only the Russian girl had picked it up from the pharmacy and gave it to her. So like only the Russian girl could have messed with it and everybody else ate all of the dinner. So it had to be that. And she had in her will left all of her money to the Russian girl. Except for a small thing for her niece. Yeah. And, and so, so they arrest the Russian girl. But Prower's like, she wouldn't have written me this letter about, like, let's keep this family shame out of the news if it was a Russian it, maid. Right. So and so he's, also, he hones in on the, the niece and, you know, nephew-in-law. And also, like, there were some shares she had some shares some investments that had been like cashed out recently and he's yeah, like yeah they had gone weird. kind of wild like she'd done some weird investments recently and so then it's like wait a minute the niece and the husband were like stealing from her or something like and that the, was why but she the big the thing was it was when pretty he first cool it's there he's like in the garden he's like this is a beautiful garden garden yada yada and there's this whole part of the garden with their shells doing kind of a border. And he reminds him of the nursery rhyme. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? Something with his gar- something shells. Yeah, that's actually a nursery rhyme I know. Unlike okay, then the say it because clearly I don't. You don't know this one? Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow with... Oh, fuck. See, I knew that part too. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know any more than I do. It's like knowing the first line of a song. Like I'm like, yeah, I know the first line, but like uh, you're in the, okay. you're in the lyrics now. Uh, quite okay. I'm looking it up. Yeah, you didn't know that. I didn't know that. I you know the part it, I knew. Yeah, but anyway, wait, say it again because I was coughing. Say the part Mary, I didn't. No, okay. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow with silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row? Portia did not know that part. She thought she knew it. Like, if, if this is the thing. I was listening on recently on one of my podcasts over there saying that, like, what we think we know and what we actually know. Yeah. Like, you're like, yeah, I know that nursery rhyme. And then you're like, I don't actually know that nursery rhyme. <laughs> I know how a toilet works. I don't really know how a toilet works. <laughs> but I think I know how a toilet works. But I don't know how I've a toilet works. I've repaired a toilet know- before. Hmm? I I have definitely repaired a toilet before. Do you know how it works? I mean, do you understand how the water works? Uh, I mean, 
don't know how that toilet works. Neither do I. And the I point is I'm... about human behavior is we know people who know how it works and that's what matters. Uh, okay. I right? Didn't... Like we know how to find a person who knows how a toilet works and fix it. Okay, but I don't know fair. why it swirls. I don't know like when I push the thing, like why the water moves. Like <laughs> pressure. <laughs> okay, fair. Okay. Like being sure. in North America, I know that makes, makes the water go in a certain direction. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's my second anyway. podcast. I keep p- plugging podcasts, but that's on Curiosity Daily. I learned that about our confidence about what we think we know versus what we actually know. Okay, good to know. Yeah, you are definitely plugging other podcasts, which is good since we don't have any sponsors. They're going to um, start sponsoring us. You have to do the paperwork one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway. Back to you not knowing this nursery rhyme. There's something about shells in a garden. Which right, but that she there was popped shells. into Praro's head when he's in the garden because there's these shells in a border of the garden. Oyster shells, but they're only partially there, which is weird because the garden was like really well taken care of. And so why would there only be oyster shells during part of the garden? And so right, that it was, was it was immaculate. Like this garden was gorgeous and perfectly planned. So like, and it actually is a perfect Praro solution because of his order and method and his fastidiousness and so the fact that he's extremely bothered that this is a gorgeous garden but there's this part where the shells only go part way right catches and, his eye and so um so it's a really nice Proroian coined it solution <laughs> because it's his fastidiousness that right. makes him be like wait a minute right so the, the the answer is, well, they only ate all the food that everybody ate. They had actually got oysters. And put um, the strychnine in the oysters was why she couldn't taste it because it's really bitter. But because I don't. Because when I eat oysters, I actually um, eat and chew them like a person because it's weird <laughs> to just swallow them. Like, I, I only do that to pills. I only do that to things right, that are nasty. Right. I know. I don't right? like to just I... throw swallow them down my throat. Like I actually eat it like a, like it's a bite, right? But it's traditional to just that... like take it down your throat, and so that's what she did. So you wouldn't be like, "Oh my god, that tastes weird," and stop eating it, right? And so that's how they weren't able to find it because the food <laughs> that had been left by the maid or cook or whatever the servant they had. It was her night off, and so she only knew the food that she'd left. And the food that the Russian servant had was not that because the it's oysters the same they as what they'd there. eaten, right? So they couldn't have the police find that there was also oyster shells because they would have studied that. So she put them in the garden so they wouldn't hide know that them. the aunt had a secret poison food that they didn't have, right? And so he was able to figure that out. Um, so there's a couple <laughs> of interesting things about this one. Um, but mostly it's not that interesting. Um, one is there was this quote that was interesting. of the stories. I mean, it's okay. Um, so he, when Paro apo- approached the house, the house had a name. That name of the house was Rosebank. And there was a quote that he said, Rosebank was a house that seemed likely to live up to its name, which is more that can be said for most houses of its class and character. And I was like, are we class shaming houses now? (laughs) But I guess the point was, is that it was named Rosebank and it actually had a lot of roses. Right. 
Like, yeah, so, it might be like, you know, if you call something garden view and there's no garden and there's no view. or <laughs> Right, exactly, right. Sea, sea, you know, sea crest and there's no sea and you're not anywhere near the, yeah. But anyway. Right. So, um, and, and that was one thing that I actually thought was interesting about the, you know, end of this one was that the niece, when she's called out for killing her aunt and framing this Russian girl, um, and basically, she and her husband had been embezzling from the aunt who figured it out, which is why she wrote to Praro. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <coughs> oh, God. So sorry. Let me take a sip of water. I'm so much editing to do for these coughs. So she's embezzling and the aunt figured it out and wrote to Praro. And that's why she, the aunt had lit left all of her money to this Russian maid because the girl had been like at her beck and call doing all this work for her and then she finds out that her niece and nephew-in-law are stealing from her and she's like screw them so she left it all to the Russian nurse um, right but uh, when Praro confronts the niece about this she basically is like it's interesting because you know we have all these talks in this podcast about race and seeing people as human and all those things and this and this this woman definitely saw the russian girl as less than human she's like yeah, and yeah she didn't call her a dog but maybe like something like that like she definitely was like why would i feel bad about setting her up she's she definitely used words and maybe actually actually those words to refer to say that she's less than human well, and it was th- fine with her to set her up for the murder because she's a, I think she called her a dog or whatever, but she, she definitely oh, considered her less, book. she definitely considered her less than human and didn't feel any qualms about setting her up for a murder. And one thing that was earlier in the story on the same thing, when Poro had just gotten there and it was before they had arrested the Russian girl and knew that she had a motive because they didn't know she inherited the money and they were suspecting the niece first off because they assumed she would get all the money and the cop said this russian girl did a whole bunch of work and was treated badly you know these old ladies think that they're being kind but would they treat them like crap and what they really want is a black slave and that's what the cop said about how the old lady was treating the russian girl and it was interesting because the way he said that was clearly treating people as a black slave is a bad thing to do and and so that was interesting because it was 1930 whatever it was this (laughs) one was her first came out in 35 so it was definitely like slavery is bad (laughs) yeah but also like it was still like i feel like again our context of like the language from then then there were none like treating them like a black slave but like the way I interpret that when I read it was not like treating someone like a black slave is bad but like you're treating someone who's not that as that. as that and that's so I still good. felt yeah, that there fair, was like yeah. an intrinsic racism in with like you know oh totally. you're treating yeah. this person who's actually like you know it's like the Ukraine thing like but she's right. a nice white lady she just happens to have an accent Right, right. You can't exactly. treat her like you treat a person whose skin was brown. Right. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, cool. I, that definitely made me, like, be like, you know, when I, we just coming off of it, and then we're done, I was like, can we not? Can you right, less seriously. racism in this one? <laughs> can you just? Well, there was. Have... To be fair, there was less. I mean, yeah, and it's, you know, that one was the most, so. <laughs> it's easy to be less, yeah. <laughs> the other that. thing about this one, because we're trying to do this fast, is I think this is the first appearance of Miss Lemon. Does she do more? Oh, she does a lot more. Because once Hastings is gone, she's Miss a much Lem- better um, balance to Prowro's energy than Hastings yeah. ever was. So it's fascinating. Her disapproving she- uptight Englishness is like what you want for Prowro. Right. And she also doesn't give a shit about him except for. Right. She's like- not seeking his approval. So what's fascinating is like they describe her quite a bit in this book and they say that she's incredibly intelligent and very efficient but doesn't really care about emotions. And so she, there's a couple of scenes in this. Well, the first one is like he has a bunch of letters and he was like, please write um, uh, refusals to take your case to these ones. And she's like, okay. And then he was like, read this one and so she reads it and he was like what do you think and she her reaction is fuck like my job is to do this kind of thinking not that kind of thinking right and and so but he asked for her opinion um and she both can do it because he's like i know you're intelligent but you don't want to right. um and then later um he asks for her to imagine something from the point of view of the uh, Russian girl, and she does a terrible oh, job. Oh, that's he's... so good. It's so good. And then he's like, I miss Hastings because he had an imagination. It was often wrong, but even if it was wrong, it would, like, give Be me helpful. ideas. And she and Miss Lemon is like, whatever, I don't care. Like, um, and then there was one point where he says something like she has got the wind up or he says some kind of British <laughs> idiom wrong and she doesn't correct him because it said Miss Lemon, who considered that Poirot had been long enough in Great Britain to understand its slang terms, did not reply. Where she's like, seriously, you've been here for 20 years. Because yep. like, he came during the First World War. It's now almost 20 years she's not going to be like actually the slang term is this like come on and so (laughs) i love that because it was a little bit of a dig about the fact that he regularly gets english slang wrong and she's like whatever i'm not even going to play that game totally so um she does make no i definitely liked her energy in opposition and like both in opposition to and working with him yeah, and in the David Suchet ones, he, she is around and Hastings around is around. Oh, wow. Um, you know, and so they bring in both of them at the same time as opposed to at different times. So um, anyway, but she's just great. So I think this is the first time we ever meet her. But Yeah, I liked her a lot. Okay, we decided to end it there due to my cough. And we will finish the Brigada Mysteries on the next episode. Have a good night.